we'll work with you on that. Appreciate that song. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I, I really don't know of a better passage to preach from on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, than what we're going to look at here. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 12 to verse 20. I'd ask you to follow along. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 12. The Apostle Paul, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, writes, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep, that is symbolic of death, those who have died, in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice and thank you that that tomb Jesus occupied three days and three nights is empty. And it's empty because of the resurrection of Christ. That on that third day, just as he promised, he came out of that grave with a glorified body. He became the first fruits. The first one resurrected that we would follow. And we know there's so much that rests upon his resurrection. If he's not raised, then he's not true. If he's not true, what the Bible tells us he did for us is not so. And we have no hope. But thanks be to you, Father, that he is raised from the dead. And now we, we who know him, we who have received him and accepted him and put our faith in him for our salvation are secure. And we, we have that blessed hope. And we thank you. I'd ask you to, please if you will, bless this time we're going to we're going to spend in the Word of God and the preaching time and move in hearts as only you can. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this The Keystone oops, The Keystone of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at today. The keystone. 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here today in that we might worship the Lord and also today to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the grave nearly 2,000 years ago. In the Bible, God has given to us and preserved perfectly for us a synopsis, if you will, of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. The Gospels tell us about his life. Of course, not everything. John said in his Gospel at the end that the pages couldn't contain all that Jesus did. But God has put in his word what he feels and knows that we need to know. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn of Christ's miraculous incarnation. Matthew and Luke tell us all about the virgin birth. And we see the truth of it. And then we're told about his three and a half year ministry. The Bible says that Jesus was about 30 years old when these things began. And the fact is we know very little about the earlier part. But those gospel accounts cover about a three and a half year period. And we find in there miracles that he did, miracle after miracle after miracle, uh, we don't have time to even list them. And then we read about his crucifixion. How they put him, took him to a mock trial. Pilate convicted him and he went on to the cross and was beaten and abused and hung on that cross to die. And we read about his burial. Two men, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, took the body from the cross and put it in a tomb that really belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a borrowed tomb. Jesus didn't even have his own tomb. He owned nothing. And then we read. I'm glad the story didn't stop there. We read. On that third day, we read about his resurrection, how he came out of that grave. Now understand with me, every aspect of Jesus' life here on this earth was important and is miraculous. His being born of a virgin it was an, a miraculous event. Being born of a virgin defiles, defies natural law. We know biology. We know that's an impossibility. But with God, all things are possible. As I said, we know very little about his first 30 years of life, almost nothing. But we're told about the last three and a half years of his life, all those miracles that he did, and at the end of the years we learn of his crucifixion and his burial. The burial of his dead body. Remember, Jesus has a human body. He's all man. And at the same time, he's all God. He's the God-man. And people say, well, your God died on the cross. Remember, he was dead. His human body died. Just like yours will. See, the Bible says it's appointed of all men once to die. 
So we know that one day this shell is going to die. But you see, this is more than, than just what you see. I am more than what you see. You are more than what is seen. This is a shell, and within this shell dwells the person. Jesus' physical body was the physical part of him, but inside dwelt God. He's God in the flesh. And when that physical body died, Jesus is still alive. They buried that physical body. You don't bury live people. At least I hope they don't. He was verified, dead, graveyard dead. Just to make sure the Roman soldier stuck a spear up through his side into his heart. And those men that took that body down knew. If you've been around a dead body, you know. And they put him in that tomb. And then as we read the gospel accounts, I believe we come to what I, I estimate to be the greatest, the most spectacular, the most miraculous event in human history. And in the life of Jesus, his bodily resurrection on the third day, just as he said. I thought about the burial. They put him in the tomb. They put a big stone and they sealed it because the uh, Pharisees wanted it sealed. They put a Roman guard there, uh, a centurion or, or a quadrant, four guards, four Romans, 24 hours a day to make sure nobody stole that body. And on the third day, the angel rolled that stone away and Jesus walked out of that grave. Alive! His spirit didn't walk out of that grave. His glorified body walked out of that grave. Just like every believer is one day going to have a glorified body. His, he and his glorified body walked out of that grave. You see that, I believe it's the greatest miracle. Don't ever lose sight of this. Because every other part, every other aspect of Jesus' work of redemption and message of salvation rests upon, is dependent upon the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the key to it all. If Jesus failed to rise from the dead, as he said, everything he preached, everything he promised would collapse, would be in vain. He would be a fraud. Paul tells us, as we've read, that if Christ has not risen, our faith is in vain. If he's not risen, our trust in him for our salvation is vain, empty, of no value. It all rests upon what we are still celebrating. Nearly 2,000 years later, and we celebrate it because of the importance of it. Listen, we don't celebrate Easter Bunny. We don't celebrate Easter eggs. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Because without it, all of our Christian beliefs collapse.
You sang. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. We, we sang. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Oftentimes we've sung, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. But you know, it's, it's sad, but it's a fact that even when Christ arose, that resurrection day and beyond, there were many who didn't believe. And who wouldn't believe? Why, one of his disciples didn't believe. Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. Till Jesus proved <laughs> to him his resurrection. Many refused to believe it. They denied it. And even the authorities conspired to somehow give an alternate explanation for the absence of the body. Down through the ages, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been a very controversial subject. Especially with the false religions, the cults, and of course the atheists, all denying the truth of it, and when they do that, they undermine the entire redemption work of Jesus Christ. Today, we as believers must realize just how important the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ really is. I said it's the keystone, the capstone, the cornerstone upon which the gospel message of Jesus Christ rests. I want to show you this. Uh, let me go the other way. See that thing in the top? That's the keystone. If you take that keystone out, that whole arch collapses. And it's the last part they put in to support the two sides. Here's an engineering view. And the weight of the, everything there falls on that keystone. There it is. The resurrection of Christ is that keystone. Keystone that supports forgiveness of our sins and an eternal life and the promises and the power and on and on we can go. If you take it away, it all collapses. Today we must recognize the importance of the resurrection. Number one, we have to recognize the importance of the resurrection. Because that resurrection verifies his identity. Over and over again, Jesus claimed and declared himself to be God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. See, he's more than man. He's the God-man. And in John 10, verse 30, he told the Pharisees, I and my Father are one. When he said that, the Jews saw it as blasphemy. This man's saying he's God. Yeah, he was, because he is God. And the next verse says, they felt so strongly about him claiming to be God that they took up stones. They weren't trying to stone him. That didn't happen. 
There were several occasions where Jesus speaking to the Jews and especially the Pharisees and the, uh, and the scribes where he referred to himself, he would say, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the great shepherd. We don't pick it up often. But understand with me, every time he said, I am, he was equating himself with God. Because way back in Genesis or Exodus, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell him, I am sent you. And these Jews knew that. So every time Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I'm God. I'm God the Father and I'm God the Son. I'm the God-man. And boy, they, oh my goodness. He claimed himself to be the eternal one. He said, I am. You know, I am is, is without time. I am here, now. Later I will be, I am here, now. Way back here, I am here in the past. I am is without time. Eternal. And Jesus is eternal. He performed many miracles while he was here on earth. And these miracles were the, listen, he wasn't trying to entertain people. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. The miracles he did was to show them who he was. He did things only God can do. And the purpose was, see me for who I am. He made the deaf to hear, the blind to see. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He made the cripple to walk and cleansed the lepers and fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes and walked on water and on and on we could go. You know, sometimes when you talk to people who haven't believed in Christ, they say, well, he's not the only one that ever did miracles. No, he's not. Here's a thought for you. I mentioned this Wednesday night. You know, the devil can do miracles. If you don't believe that, see me after service. But other men in the Bible did miracles. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Elijah stopped the rain. Joshua, good night. Joshua, he prayed and the sun stood still. Moses came to that Red Sea and he parted the Red Sea. And think about this. I've tried to emphasize this. When Moses parted the Red Sea, there's not a flow there. There's not a river flowing in it. It's, it's like a lake, all right, that he's dealing with. And when God parted that Red Sea through Moses, Water stacked up here, and water stacked up here like walls. And they went through on dry ground. It wasn't even muddy. What a miracle. Moses did that. As I said, Elijah did miracles. Joshua made the sun stand still. On and on we could go. But listen. No other man ever came out of the grave by his own power. People say, well, Lazarus came out of the grave. Yeah, but it was by Jesus' power that he did that. Jesus came out of that grave under his own power. Nobody's been able to duplicate that. When he did that, he proved that he could conquer death. No one else has been able to do that. 
So his resurrection verifies. He is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. Everything he says is true and accurate. He's the savior. He's the Messiah. Let me read something Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, the resurrection of our divine Lord from the dead is the cornerstone of Christian doctrine. Perhaps I might more accurately call it the keystone of the arch of Christianity. For if that fact could be disproved, the whole fabric of the gospel would fall to the ground. Jesus' resurrection, imagine this with me. You want to go to heaven and there's a rope comes down from heaven. You grab onto that rope. But that rope has to be anchored somewhere. Something. God dropped faith down from heaven for us to grab onto. But something has to anchor that faith. And that's Jesus Christ. And the anchor of his work, of what he did to redeem us, is the resurrection. You can't get to heaven without believing in the resurrection. Because the resurrection supports everything else Jesus said. How he came to pay our price, how we're all sinners. By the way, we're all sinners. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're a sinner because every hand would have to go up. Oh, I don't like you calling me a sinner. God called you a sinner. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Earlier in that chapter it says, There is none righteous. No, not one. We're sinners. I like to say we're all in the same boat. I got to tell you, that boat's sinking. We're in the boat of sin, and there's no hope. That boat's going to sink. We're going to die. And the Bible says it's appointed not once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're all going to face God. We're sinners. We're going to have to face God. And there's a judgment for our sin. For the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death. Spiritual death. See, inside of your body, I said earlier, your spirit lives. And it's going to live somewhere forever. This will die, but your spirit don't. And that death that's talked about there is separation from God. God is in heaven. There's only one other place to be when you die and your spirit leaves your body. And that's hell. The wages of sin is death. How many of you have ever had a job? All right, I'm glad you did. I remember way back in the dark ages, I worked in the factory and I used to punch in. And at the end of the shift, I punched out. And at the end of the week, they came around and gave me an envelope and said, here's your wages. Wasn't a gift. Wages. I worked for it. See, if I didn't go in and punch in, punch out when payday came nothing for me <laughs> I didn't earn anything but when I worked I got what I deserved I earned it when we sin because we sin because we're sinners we get what we deserve and what we deserve is hell death 
Oh, boy, I didn't come to hear that. Wait a minute, I'm not done yet. That's the bad news. That verse goes on in Romans 6.23. But the gift, gift, gift. You say, you say it three times. I'm going to say three more. Gift, gift, gift of God. Gift that comes from God is eternal life. That's heaven. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heaven is not through church membership. It's not through good works. It's not through anything we do. It's a gift. We deserve help. That's our wage. God says, that's your wage. That's what you deserve. But I'm going to offer you by my grace. Not that you deserve it, because you're a sinner. By my grace, I'm going to offer you salvation. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God sent his son to die on that cross, to shed his blood, to be buried and resurrected, to make a way of salvation for us. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved? Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. See, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Oh yeah, you're a preacher. That's not why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because 40 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I admit it, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But I realize, somebody showed me from the Bible, God has offered me a gift and I received it. And he says that gift is eternal life. And so now I have eternal life. And it's all through Jesus and what he did. Do you know God loves you? You know, sometimes that's pretty hard for me to... God loves me. I'm one of seven billion people in this world. And I'm a sinner. And sometimes I'm not what God would want me to... And he still loves me. Yeah. And he loves you. God loves you so much. He sent his only begotten son. That begotten means special. Son. Come into this world. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, that's the message of the gospel. And that's what Jesus shared with people. Believe on me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Go to John 3. I want you to see verse 18. I gave you 16 and 17. In verse 18 it says, He that believeth on him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He's the only way. His resurrection 
verifies the gospel message. His resurrection proves that all he claimed, what he said, was all true and accurate. You see, it vindicates his ministry. I didn't put this one up. Come on, clicker. It's not working. Okay. It vindicates his ministry, verifies who he is, vindicates his ministry. He came to be the sacrificial lamb to die for the sins of the world. He came and defeated death for us. And that resurrection validates it all. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I've used this illustration. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And they hadn't sinned. The garden was paradise. And they were God's first creation humanly. But one day the serpent came, the devil, and he tempted them, and they sinned. And God put them out of the garden. And now, when they were in the garden, they had fellowship with God. He would come down and walk with them and talk with them and things. Now, fellowship is broken. And if you can imagine, now there's a big wall between man and God. We can't have fellowship with him. We can't go be with him when we die. Because this big wall of sin. You with me? But Jesus came and he said, I am the way. He's the way to the Father. He said, I am the door. He's the door between us and God. You see, the only way we can have fellowship with God and go to be with God is through Jesus. He's that door in that wall. He's the way. See, there are other religions in the world, and sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, it doesn't matter what religion you are. As long as you're doing your best and trying to get to God, that's not true. See, in this wall of sin, there's only one door. All these other religions come and they put a false door there. You know, it's like painting a door on a wall and saying, hey, there's a door. <laughs> Don't work that way. Jesus is the only way. He, he vanquishes our fears. Do you know that man fears death? You say, well, I don't fear death. I bet you do. See, mankind don't like to think about death. First of all, because we don't, as an unsaved person, if I didn't know Jesus, and, and I remember when I didn't, I, would, I feared death. I didn't like to think about dying because I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what was true. Everybody had their different ideas about what would happen. And to be real honest with you, I didn't see much hope of me ever getting into heaven. Hmm? But you see, when I got saved, that fear of death left. I don't fear death. Some of you know this. I've died a couple of times. Yeah, one day in an ambulance over here at Anderson campus, they put them paddles on me. 
I woke up a while later. I didn't even know how long I was out. Here's my wife and Pastor Meyer and Fred Lancaster and people all around me. I said, what's going on? You? <laughs> well, what if they didn't bring you back? No big deal. I'm going to heaven. I don't fear death. Hmm? See, as an unbeliever, you don't know. You don't, the only thing you, you know for sure is you're not going to get to heaven. But you can know. His resurrection takes away our fears because as a believer now, I'm going to have a resurrection. And then, I like this. We need to see the value of that resurrection, the importance of it. <laughs> because it vexes Satan's plan. Oh my, this past week was called Passion Week. The week of Christ's passion. The week when they beat him and abused him and, and, and took him to Calvary and nailed him on the cross and he died. Graveyard dead. And boy, when that happened, Satan thought he had the victory. His wicked pawns followed his game plan. Judas, Satan used to betray Christ. Caiaphas, the high priest, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Roman soldiers, Satan was using all of them to accomplish his little plan. <laughs> and for three days, and three nights, there was a big celebration going on in hell. Woo! We got him! <laughs> he's dead! He's buried! He's done! But on that third day, just before sunrise, that stone rolled away and Jesus came out of that grave. Satan thought he had him, but he couldn't hold him. And Jesus is now victorious over Satan. And you know, the Bible says that there's coming a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that includes Satan's going to bow his knee to Jesus. Oh, he tried throughout the history of man to condemn people to hell. But Jesus has broken that and made the way. And now, there's an opportunity. An opportunity for eternal life. We need to see the importance of this. Help me. There it is. Voids all other religions. The resurrection of Christ makes the Muslim religion of no effect. The Hindu, the uh, Shinto, any other religion. You see, None of the leaders and establishers of those other religions is alive today. They couldn't come out of the grave. They didn't have power over death. Only one did. Jesus Christ. He's the truth. People said to me, well, why should I believe you? I'm telling you what Jesus did and said. Well, I got my own religion. Well, your religion will send you to hell. Because there is only one way. He is the way. Listen, friend, we're celebrating today. We who are saved are celebrating the fact that that tomb is empty and always will be. 
I don't ever, ever, ever become concerned that somewhere, somehow, somebody might find Jesus' body. No. How can you be so sure? Because he told me where he is. Where is he? Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Do me ever to make intercession for Satan. They'll never find the body. Because it came out of the grave. Spent 40 days teaching the disciples. And ascended into heaven. Read Acts chapter 1. What I want you to get today. Believer. The resurrection of Christ is so vital, so important, and so demonstrative of his power. Not even death in the grave could overpower him. Unbeliever, the resurrection of Christ proves that he offers eternal life. He has the authority, he has the power, he has the ability to give us eternal life. But we have to come to him. I told you we're sinners. Romans chapter 6, chapter 3 says we're sinners. 6 says we have, we have our, our reward, our wages. But it says there's a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Well, how do we get that gift? Romans goes on. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, there's that resurrection, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart, you listening? With a heart, believeth unto righteousness, with a mouth comes confession. And in verse 13, simple. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's, that's all it takes. That's what it takes to have eternal life. To know your sins are forgiven, to know you're on your way to heaven. Well, it sounds too easy, too simple. God made it that way. God don't want anybody going to hell. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. And if you've never trusted Christ, God wants to save you. He loves you. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he promises he'll save any who will come to him. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Please listen. Jesus stands at the door of the heart of every person in the world. Not, not literally, but he wants to save every person. God so loved the world, that's every person in the world. He wants to save you. But we have to be willing to invite him into our life. If I came to your house and I knocked on the door, I would be there because I wanted to come in, right? That's why I'm there. But I would not come in unless you opened the door and invited me. And if you did that, I'll double it all guarantee I'm coming in. Ain't no doubt. Do you need to invite Jesus into your heart and your life today? He's the door. He's the only way. Have you received him? 
If not, we're going to have an invitation here in just a few minutes. Miss Hunsinger is going to play. Pastor Meyer is going to come. We're going to sing. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ and been saved, when we start to sing, I want you to come. Well, I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Just come. Everybody, everybody that's saved here will rejoice with you. <laughs> and I'll shake your hand. That won't save you. But here's what will happen. I'll put you with a man if you're a man or a lady if you're a lady and they'll take you to a quiet place and open the Bible and show you how you can be saved. And we don't make you get saved. But they'll show you how you can get saved and if you want to get saved, they'll help you. Listen, the resurrection. What a time of celebration for saved folks. But you know, that's why the unsaved world has Easter bunny and Easter eggs. They don't have anything to really celebrate. We do. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that you would speak to the heart of any that are unsaved here today. I don't know the heart of every person in this room, but you do. You know who's come to Christ or saved and on their way to heaven. You know those who need Christ. Father, I, I've given them the message. That's all I can do. I ask you now to do what I cannot do. Convict hearts. Speak to hearts. Cause the unsaved to give us opportunity to show them the way. And then cause believers to grasp the vital importance of that resurrection. The keystone. The capstone. The thing that holds it all together. That we might appreciate it more than we ever have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.